0: This is iFanboy Media Split episode 40 The HBO Show, The End of Winning Time, The Future of the Brand, and our all-time favorite original series.
1: It's great
0: my fanboy media explode. My name is Connor Kilpatrick and I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hi there and Ron Richards. Hey guys, how's it going? Can you just edit out that awkward silence for me? No <laughs> no okay just just
1: <laughs> we weren't on long enough for me to not pay attention. I was just stupid.
0: i could have done it without you calling that out but now i gotta leave it there you go we're back with our media explode it was unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy thanks for being a patron if you are if you ever considered being one this is a great time to do so it helps support the show and helps unlock well it did help unlock a bunch of shows for people to enjoy we thank everyone who did that and this is our monthly non-comics media show we have our regular pick of the week show to talk about comics this is our non-comics media show and uh we always like to start first with a spoiler warning there might be some spoilers there will be one I think there'll be spoilers in the main discussion part, because it's talking about a show that happened. And it's we'll probably talk safe
2: about. to say that we're here to talk about the things after. This isn't like stuff we're looking forward to watching. This is stuff we've watched, people.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, like, with media, no one's all watching it at the same time anymore. So right. it's just like, you can't help it. I feel oh. like this,
2: the spoiler window is gone, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, It's a judgment call for everybody who has to make it as they're talking. Right, but the thing is, we're not
2: universally like we're we're not united as a people in terms of what an accessible spoiler warning is anymore.
0: Maybe the draft legislation.
2: Yeah, really. I mean, yeah, I might need a strike. Let's do this live then. Let's do this as we watch the things.
1: <laughs> That's so a great that idea. That way anybody will either have to be watching it or have
0: watched it. So we'll just be constantly live streaming the media upload we well, what, what,
1: what we'll have to do is we will have to record things as they happen. And then, Connor, you will have to assemble all the disparate elements into something cohesive. Are you cool with that? <laughs> That's Hopefully, a great okay. idea. That's fine. It's a great idea. Fourteen
0: hour episodes? This is great. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean we're you gonna will a lot have more patrons. Dozens of hours. What if we were it was like the
2: Truman Show but a podcast?
0: Right. We just leave our cameras on and mics on all the time. Just we'll let, let it roll.
2: TV.
1: Isn't that yeah. what most podcasts are like at this point?
0: Except that know. they stop at some point. That's what's great about a
2: podcast, they end.
0: Do they? <laughs> because
1: I think anything over an hour and a half
0: it may as well be endless.
2: Yeah.
0: Let's get into it. I think the theme of this show might be disappointing cancellations. Ooh. Starting with, just announced today, the day we're recording, the cancellation of Heels... On Stars, a show I really enjoyed.
2: I've never even heard of this I have show. No idea what you. Like. I've so, talked about
0: you, it several times on this very show. You made a, you're, you're making this up. You're
2: making this. I up. may
0: have talked about it on our media show. I definitely have talked about it on this show. Uh, this is Stephen Amell's wrestling show on Stars. Oh yes, His you talked about yes. yes I, remember, I remember this. Yes, season two just that. ended last weekend. It was a great season two. It actually featured, I think, an episode that I would have put if we were one of those outlets that did like best TV shows of the year. I would have put this one episode on it. Like it was an incredible episode. It got canceled. Not totally surprised because everything's going to get canceled now because of the strike. But I don't want to dissuade people from watching it. There are lots of wrestling fans who listen to this show, read comics. It's still a satisfying two-season story. It does end on a cliffhanger, but it still wraps up the arc of that season. I say, if you can watch it, it's very good. I
2: gotta say, like, so w- with the news of the writer strike coming to an end, hopefully once it gets ratified, um, and then hopefully this the actor strike isn't too far behind. But it's a reminder that it will be a very long time before we have any new TV in the way that we oh, yeah, like no, it. No, we're,
0: we're heading into the dead zone. Yeah, though. we're
2: heading into the yeah. Like, like the Sounds strike good. was the t- was the tough part. Now this is the slog, and we're gonna need stuff to watch. And I gotta admit, Connor, I'm close to being caught up on Minks on Stars based on your recommendation, yeah. and maybe I'll just keep that subscription and roll right into this.
0: I would watch it. Also, Minx has not yet been announced. They said it's it's still in consideration whether they're going to have a season three or not. I'd be surprised. Myself are all it. the
1: shows pithy one syllable titles like Minx, Heels?
0: Seems like it. Well, it's on Stars, right there. It is Stars. <laughs> There it is. There it is.
2: cracked their marketing code. And
0: Heels is just real quickly. It's about a small. You know, there's there are still small regional wrestling federations in the you know used you know we were kids. They all yes. got sort of rolled up in WWF, but yeah. they're still e. out there. And well, yeah, and well, now it's E, but back then it was F. This is about one in Georgia run by these two brothers, one is Stephen Amell. The other guy is from uh, that show Vikings. I can't remember his name, but it's just about their federation, their relationship, their business struggles. It's got a great cast. Uh, I really liked it. Uh, Stephen Amell did a really great job. He showed he can do more than just Arrow. I should hope. It was a bummer. It was one of the shows I really look forward to every Sunday to watch. Well,
1: it's not a good sign that you have talked about this on here several times and still Ron and I don't know what it is. So that's not that's not a you problem, is what I'm saying. Well,
0: I'm well, gonna say I don't know. I
2: think we got to keep track, keeping track at home of what Connor's listing and then what gets canceled because it seems like there's a direct correlation between Connor watches it, show gets canceled. It feels like there should be some sort of,
1: I don't know, like a shared list that can organize data <laughs> so that we're aware. <laughs>
0: Yes, oh. I've heard of those. There's a bigger conversation about television, which I think we're going to get into yes, later. Yes, about the difficulty of promoting shows, yep. the difficulty of watching shows, finding shows, discoverability. How do you market now? Like, and Connor
1: puts more effort into it than most
0: consumers.
2: That, well, I, I feel like, well, I, 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 tend I, to, I tend to put a lot of effort into it as well. And, I know, and uh, Connor, that's a great segue to what I've been watching, which I'll talk briefly because I think then Josh and I are going to. Tag team huh, wrestling on Josh's topic. So, I was listening to a podcast that I, I enjoy, an interview podcast that I enjoy based on the guests called Turned Out of Punk, which is Josh, you've yeah. listened to. It's da- Damien <laughs> Abraham from Fucked Up's podcast. And he's had Michael Imperioli on in the past. And then I noticed that Imperioli came on again, but with someone named Chris Estrada, who I've never heard of. Turns out he's a comedian. I don't really follow stand up comedy. I'm not really tied in it. But apparently, they were on promoting the second season. Of a half-hour comedy that they that they do that's been on Hulu called This Fool, and mm. I had never heard of the show. I had no right. awareness of it whatsoever. Then I started noticing that I do follow Imperioli on Instagram and saw him talking about it. I'm like, oh, I must have ignored that. So I gave I gave the show a shot. I watched the first season. I just started the second season, uh, and it was pretty funny. It's 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 and in my TV watching me and my wife at least uh, have fallen into, didn't fall into, but like we end up in a spot where we had a lot of hour long shows. And after that for about two months, realizing, you know, sometimes it's nice to just have a half hour show to put on and get through a half hour, right? Like you not, not have to commit to the full, you know, hour or on a night when someone's tired, you do an hour show and then have a little half hour as like a little, little cherry on top. But the premise of the show, Chris Estrada plays a Hispanic guy in LA who works at a ex con rehabilitation program called Hugs Not Thugs, and mm-hmm. that is run by Michael Imperioli, who is a Unitarian minister who is giving back to the community and running this location. And the show starts when Chris Estrada's cousin gets out of prison, and he's now his caseworker. And it's like their adventures from there on out it takes place wholly in that section of L.A. You know, graffiti and cars and East L.A. East L.A. But also, there's because you know the mention of turns out a punk turns out. Chris Estrada is also somewhat into similar music as myself and Josh and things like that. Comics, the guy, he's wearing a Love and Rocket shirt in one episode. And he was, his nephew is sitting on the floor reading one of his graphic novels, right? So there was little cultural nods in the show. But for a half hour of comedy, I laughed. It was very funny. It definitely had his moments. It's just hard to find. Yeah, very hard to find. The second to last episode of the first season has Fred Armisen in it. And the woman who was in Future Man and another show, you recognize her if you see her. She's very, and it was just, I mean, like I laughed out loud. It was very funny. Check out this fool on Hulu. I would recommend it. It was, it was a lighthearted, good comedy.
1: It's funny because you mentioned this to me earlier and I was like nodding my head, like, Chris Estrada, sure. I just looked him up. I have no idea who this person is. I've never seen him in my no, life. No, I never
2: heard of him before. Never heard of him before. Yeah. There's some other so, actor
1: whose last name is Estrada who is very handsome. Eric. No. Nope.
2: Oh, he, he was very <laughs> handsome.
1: Very handsome. So.
2: But, it was fu- but it was funny that I watched a lot of this fool while I was traveling to Chicago with Josh.
1: So uh, Ron and I went on a little boys trip (laughs) with each other for the first time in a very long time. We went to this year's annual Riot Fest in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, It is a three-day punk rock festival. Punk rock has a different meaning to many people, but it's what you think it is, but also a lot more basically is what I would say. But, if you know, in terms of, you know, your headliners, your big nighttime people, you know, where your Foo Fighters and and The Cure and Queens of the Stone Age and Postal Service and Death Cab for Cutie, not what you would think of as a punk uh, rock acts, but they are. So just for that. And then earlier throughout the day, just sort of all sorts of bands from all sorts of genres and eras within this punk indie music thing.
2: Yeah, And Ron has been many times in the past... Yeah, I don't know, many, I'm trying to, I'm three, trying to figure four? out how many, how many I've been yeah. to before. I definitely went 2013, 2014, I think 2015. I think then I, I don't know. I went a bunch up until like 26, I went in 2017 when Jawbreaker, but that was the last time I went was 2018 was 2017. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I had
1: not considered doing such a thing before. And then just as it came out, I, I don't know, some, some conversation with my wife and she's like, you should do that. And I was like, yeah, I should. So we got tickets early on and made plans and went against many odds, not just some odds, but against many odds. We met each other; we'd never met in person before. It
2: was very exciting. It was very.
1: <laughs> Him and I met playing World of Warcraft <laughs> the same guild for years. <laughs> I think we got really lucky. Other than an issue at in the evenings, beautiful weather, a remarkably like like the the event itself. Was really remarkably relaxed and well run.
2: That's why I wanted to pull back because, Josh, you've never been to a big music festival like this, be it a a, a, like Riot Fest or Outside Lands or Governor's Ball or like all the what have you. And not to be like, oh, I'm some like festival goer, but I've done, you know, I've never done Coachella, but I've done, you know, I've done Outside Lands, I've done other stuff like that. So, from that experience, what was the festival experience like for you?
1: Well, I, you know, I have my nightmare version of it, you know, like I've seen, you know, I've seen the Woodstock documentaries. I've seen the muddy Lollapaloozas. like
2: a, I mean, you saw how worried I was on Sunday when it rained, yeah. right? The, the rain is the biggest right. risk at these sort of things. Cause I've been there when it poured and it was not pretty people. It You've was been, not but good. Also, yeah.
1: Like, like, you know, I'm not a big fan of giant crowds, you know, and all yep. sorts of different people and, and yep. people, but a bunch of punk rock people are oddly much better behaved than most normal people. Yep. It was really nice. You know, we got a little bit of like the yuppie experience where we were like, you know, we got a little bit upgraded badges so that we could sort of have places for old men to hang out and things like that.
2: I just want a clean bathroom. That's all I want. I'll pay. Yeah. I will pay. (laughs) You know, but but like
1: we got to see everybody we wanted to. We got to be up front for things. The bands that I think that Ron and I had the most fun with the ones that we were most looking forward to. And some of them were bands he liked and most of many of them were. And other bands, you know, things that I loved. Like, I can't tell you one of my favorite bands of all.
2: Actually, there's a couple of them. I was going to ask what, what were your, what, if you had to pick the, the standout performances.
1: The point being, though, is that like during the day, the sort of smaller acts, like I really felt like you got to have what is the equivalent of an intimate show. I don't like stadium yeah. shows. Ron doesn't like stadium oh, shows. Yeah. And so, you know, I, on the first day, you know, there's a lot of bands that I have heard of. But don't really know, and sometimes bands are are better when you you know see them live than on a record. We saw a bunch of hardcore bands, you know. That's that's Ron's scene that he comes out of, and I, I like hardcore fine. But seeing it live is a hell of a lot better than listening to CDs, you know, which is how I heard most of them the first time. I was very excited to see Queens of the Stone Age. I've wanted to see them forever. They did a, a tight one-hour show, and I was really happy with that. it. Was kind of exactly what you'd want it to be. It was a big show. You know, Death Cab for Cutie and the Postal Service did Transatlanticism and Give Up. I was actually supposed to see that last week before we went, but everybody got sick. So I got a second chance at it, which is pretty lucky. You know, I love those albums. You know, there's albums you know every single word of. I know every single word of both of those albums. So that was exciting. We saw um, Ron's favorite punk rock guys, Walt Trifles, who has all of these specifically different and important hardcore (laughs) bands throughout the years and he played with quicksand and rival schools and gorilla biscuits and uh, i'd never seen quicksand before and uh, it was fantastic that was one of my favorite things that happened that day we saw an unheralded super group on friday night the end of the first night called um fake names and it consists of brian baker from bad religion one of my favorite bands of all time and minor threat which should be everybody's favorite band of all time and then on drums is brendan canty from fugazi and i can't remember his name but the guy from refused
2: dennis lays Le- dennis from, right yeah from as, as
1: front man and then the two other guys were also in other bands that and you know. two other guys but, <laughs> but no but like we got there and i was like we're about to look at legends yeah you know and there was kind of nobody there yet because turnstile was playing at the time and I was like annoyed and then like they start and I'd heard them or whatever but if you love certain music like I do like Ron does like whoever you are listening right now in the way that you do there's some things that are special and so like that was a really special moment where you know you're right up front and you're watching people who you idolize you've idolized for 30 years you know and you just watch them do their thing in a small little spot having fun it's great there's other things that were great that I can't remember right now
2: what about you? It was all in all a good weekend. I, w- I would say, you know, like the company was probably the highlight. Us getting to hang out in person and all that yeah. that, that stuff. We had we we had some good meals. The whole experience itself—it's—it's it's, after going to Riot Fest ten years yeah. ago and now coming ten years later, it's interesting to see how they've worked at the kinks and made it much more smooth and all that sort of stuff. I enjoyed everything we saw. The standout performances yeah. for me were probably seeing Postal Service, which I never see saw live before, which was great. Like you mentioned, Fake Names, obviously seeing Walter and Quicksand and Gorilla Biscuits and Rival Schools, stuff like that. Were great. Seeing Braid live was awesome. Mm-hmm. Even like H Two O, which I was didn't tend to. I enjoyed Oso Oso, like stuff like that. But unlike other years, there wasn't really anything that like stand out, blew me away or anybody that I ultimately super discovered or any sort of, right. you know, so, it was so, definitely sort of thing an like aggregate that.
1: experience.
2: It was, yeah, it was definitely, it was in, in total. And I just, in, in all honesty, you, you referred to it just to, despite one bad night. The biggest problem with this whole event is just the location, the park where it's in and, you know, West mm-hmm. of downtown Chicago. And it is just, it's just a nightmare to get home at the end of the night. And there's nowhere to stay near it. Yeah, if you didn't drive yourself and getting an Uber or a Lyft or a cab or anything like that. And it happens every year and every year I curse it. I'm like, oh, never again because of this. And it's just like mm-hmm. that was the only, only, only negative. But everything else was great. Oh, and the lack of the, there was some food vendors that were there in previous years that weren't there this year that I was disappointed well, I was looking forward to. <laughs> you but. will not
1: let it go away. <laughs> I thought it was really, really well run as a thing. Yeah. I definitely did. The, I mean the only thing about it, and you know, this is part of the cost is that like it's a complete monopoly on everything that happens. So you have to eat the food that's there. The food is yep. outrageous. Like if you were like at Disney, you would think I don't think I'm paying this much for this. It was yeah. like You're a hell that's part of the now. you are definitely doing a Comic-Con yeah, going to Comic Con or going exactly. It, 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 I'm it, telling yeah. you like, yes, it was worse than that.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, like, sure, because you're really trapped. But that's, I mean, that's no different than going yeah. to a show. Yeah.
1: No, it was. But I'm like, like, the number of options that they had for people who didn't let you bring anything in was very limited, I thought. Because like, you can't get snacks here.
2: Yeah. yeah. Like, you have
1: to buy a $15 slice of pizza. And that's it. Yep. And you got to wait in line an hour to do that. So yeah. that was annoying. But the thing is, it took me all this time to remember that that was a problem. I don't remember that in the aftermath. But it was a little like, ooh, this is somewhat unpunk. But Josh, is there work.
0: a band that Ron really likes that you hadn't seen or really heard much that you saw that you liked from the show? There's a bunch. I, I mean, feel like there, Braid it,
1: impressed you, didn't I? I feel like Braid impressed me. That was fun. It was good enough. Ron has been on me about Quicksand forever, mm-hmm. and I'm aware of it. And I had bought, like, I, I made an effort to really spend time with it before I went.
0: Anyone our age is obsessed with quicksand, Josh. We all know this. Right. Yes,
1: but in a different context. Okay. okay. But I wanted to spend, I saw Rival Schools with Ron earlier. I've liked stuff that um, Walter Streifels has done for years, sort of in the, in the off the side. So I listened to Slip, because that's the album that they played a lot. And, and I was pretty familiar with it and was really enjoying it when I went so that I could appreciate what I was watching. And so when we went and saw them on a Friday afternoon on the main stage, the sunniest, most uncomfortable part of the day, it was great. I really, It was like 100% delivery. I think one of the things that we kept talking about and I think like when you are watching a band, it doesn't really matter what kind of band. It doesn't have to be punk or rock, whatever it is. And the people who are performing are very present and having a good time. Like they're having fun playing the music. You can see that they're happy to be there. That makes it so much better and that was one of those performances where every single person on stage and most of the people that I could see because we were pretty close up were just really happy. And I don't Normally go for big group experiences, but in that context, Connor, you talk about this in theaters all the time, mm-hmm. where you are in a moment where all like I'm you're so all happy. experiencing
0: the same thing at the same time, it's right? But unbeatable. you're also
1: all happy that you're do for the same reason at the same time, yeah. and and there's everything bad is gone for just a little bit. And there was a lot of those moments. It's funny because Ron mentioned H2O. You know, I listened to that when I was a kid, and I didn't really stick with it because it's very like you know hard, edgy, hardcore do it today, you know, whatever. And and I, we thought we'd go over and we would watch it for a couple of minutes and then move along. It was like, all right, we'd seen it. And we both sat there the entire time, just kind of transfixed at this positive outlet of energy from all of these people. And that kind of sums up what I thought was really fun about so much of it.
2: Yeah, as an aging hardcore kid, it was great to see... That it's alive and not only as nostalgia, but as like to see, like it's a combination of two Mm -hmm. things to see so many younger bands actually playing and getting a shot and turnstile being a great example of them. Like they were uh, the second down from the headliner on the, on Saturday. Right. Like Mm -hmm. they, and they come out of the hardcore scene out of Baltimore. Right. Which is fantastic. But not only see that, but to see. The, the crowd engaged and the younger fans and like the community, and there's the respect and just the support, and just like every, all the earmarks of what makes hardcore so special, so wonderful, kind of alive. And it's funny because I'd just seen Girl of Biscuits the weekend before in New York, and it was very much the same thing where actually Girl of mm-hmm. Biscuits and Fucked Up, uh, aforementioned Damian Abraham played, and it was a bill of like five bands of which I think fucked up Girlbiscuits biscuits were like the most established and then the three other bands were like up and comers and like smaller What and it was just great and even Civ and Girl biscuits were saying it's just like we are seeing another age of hardcore emerging and there's another generation and it is great this is this will continue this is what we all believe in and it's just it's it's always warmed my heart to see it still going yeah it was a fun weekend all in all i'm glad we went i'm glad you did it very much yeah would you go again josh
1: i don't think i'd go to that show again without <laughs> going to some others instead like I had that experience, I would be interested in doing another experience in yeah. a different sort of context. Well, I of was te- I
2: was teasing him at the end of, at the end of the weekend because I was saying how every year I end saying, "Well, that's good. I'm not going to go back." And then, like mm-hmm. in six months, they announced the lineup. I'm like, "Oh, that's a compelling lineup." And then, <laughs> so it's it's definitely hard to quit. <laughs> this is a
1: good Patreon or Discord or the Facebook group. Like, mm-hmm. what band is it that would make? Like, what announcement, band, re, you know, lineup who, that would make you go, now I have to go to this again. And Karan yeah. and I had a very hard time thinking about, like, what actually is left. I don't
0: know how jaded that makes us, but. Yeah. I think we should have a patron stretch goal to send you to Coachella.
1: <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> <be very> <laughs> have to that do is it. the wrong climate for dad. <laughs> for dad. That sounds like something I'd say to my kids. That is the wrong climate for Josh, though. By the way, previously I was thinking of Chris Messina. Not Chris Estrada, which is why oh, I was Messina.
0: confused. Chris Messina
2: went to my high school. There you go. Friends of my sister.
0: I'm glad you guys had fun. I'm glad you had a good, yeah. fun weekend. Josh paid the price, but sure, he did. sure did. he dared to go out and have fun, and the universe punished him for it. As, uh, as I think he's he got it before he went. Either way. <laughs> well, let's move on to sort of our main topic of the night, and this is on the heels of heels. One of our favorite shows, the three of us combined, which is somewhat rare, not totally rare, but somewhat rare, was Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty on HBO. And the second season also ended last weekend, I believe. last, yeah, last weekend. Last weekend. It was when we were at Riot Fest, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and HBO canceled it the moment it aired on the East Coast. The moment it ended on the East Coast. They sent the announcement out. You think they'd want to get a couple of reruns to keep people in? I mean, if you watched the episode, you clearly saw it was canceled. Oh, oh they, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, no, yeah, yeah.
0: They six feet under it? Till I aired. was, No. Well, it was well, worse. We're going to end
2: because I've 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 commentary. Yes. but this but is so,
0: yeah. so. This is a bummer. This um, for me, it was my I think it was my favorite show that was currently on TV at the moment. I just loved it so much. Yeah, we're we're going to get into lots of things about it. I can see why it was canceled. I'm not totally surprised it was canceled. I kept thinking it was going to get canceled. The producers had said they had a three season arc. The first season was the rise of Showtime, winning the first championship. The second season was they're faltering; they lose to the Celtics for the first time. The third season would have been redemption, beating the Celtics. And that would have been sort of the arc. They could have kept going, but that was the arc they planned. Ironically, the show ends with them losing (laughs) the championship. It's hard to have the rise of the dynasty when you lose, but that's how it ended thoughts So thoughts of the second season just in general before we sort of get to cancellation issues and everything
2: so i let's see i really like the show like i want to preface that like i really really enjoyed the show i care nothing about basketball i care nothing about the players that are depicted in basketball i care nothing about pat riley i have no emotional attachment like some when others might he have just but. said i don't care at all about pat riley i was hurt <laughs> right, so, I was like, what? Yeah. yeah. So th- that said, I love. I'm not Charles Nelson Riley. John C.
0: Dustin Riley would have been a different choice. John C.
2: Riley. I love John C. (laughs) Riley. He was fantastic in this. I love Adrian Brody. I thought he was fantastic as Amazing cast. Amazing cast. Pat Riley. We talked about when the first season came out the style, the mixed media, the film, video, the nostalgic, you know, kind of mix in terms of the approach to it and stuff like that. I thought the first season was very daring and challenging and questioned what you thought of it. And, you know, I went into it thinking it was going to be all winning and, you know, winning time, blah, 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 smiles, but it was a Rocky and, oh, magic's a jerk and blah, blah all this sort of stuff. Something happened in the second season. Like who knows when they found out they were getting canceled, but I believe it was a lot earlier than working on that last episode because, you had like this slog in the first half of the second season of dealing with Paul Westhead, the Jason Siegel character, the coach, right? For like multiple episodes of like micro storytelling of like two or three episodes, t- telling the span of like one season or like a two week period in some in some cases, right?
0: They definitely started stepping on the gas pedal,
2: and then you get a brilliant episode, the Pat Riley centric episode where Pat Riley gets named the coach, which was like yep. amazing and just like shows what the show the potential could be. The highs were so high for it. And then you get followed by the lows of what the show could be, which is like putting on the gas pedal, skipping an entire year, fast-forwarding to 1984. It felt like they are like, all right, somebody wrapped this up real quickly. Well, they were trying to get to the Celtics. It felt wrapped up very quickly, and it felt it felt almost haphazard in the way it kind of finished up, which is like, I was like, oh, I don't know how much longer this world is for the show. And I think the challenge and and what they really went up against here was... I think they bit off more than they could chew in terms of this approach, in terms of what the show was, because at times you had, and Josh, we talked about this in person during Ryan Fest, I didn't know who the show was about. Is the show about- John C. Riley's character, Dr. Buss. I thought that's who it was at the beginning of season one, but then all the marketing has got magic all over it. So okay, maybe it's a show about magic. It starts with magic and his HIV diagnosis. Okay, this could be about Magic's journey. But then you get Adrian Brody, who's just like Oscar-winning character. Oh, it's gonna be about Pat Riley. As I've thought about it since the last episode, I realized that it is about, in some total, the Lakers, right? Really? And, 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 and And trying to tell all those other little micro stories was trying to have their cake and eating it too. And I think it lacked a little focus that it could have had. And you could have seen the show go on for many seasons because we all know, like I've been so I'm told, you know, you got Kobe Bryant, you got all other players, like it could have been a generational thing. And we explored it when we talked about season one. We're like, oh, is the next season going to jump to the nineties or whatever it could be. Like there was it felt like there was so much potential. And the second season at the same time tried to leap for those heights while being tethered down with one foot almost, you know, caught in quicksand, as we said earlier, like it felt torn in those two directions to me.
1: Again, him and I talked about this is that
2: I was in the tank for the
1: show, basically from the beginning. And while I think that there may have been bits where like, I don't know, maybe it wasn't as strong as what I like. I remember at the beginning, Connor said something like, Oh, the first half of whenever the episode was really boring. And I was like, I just don't even know it anymore because the fact is I want to live in that world. And I know that, It's about the Lakers, obviously, but in order to tell that larger story, you have to tell the smaller parts of the story and the different people's story, and it all comes together in whatever reason. And that's the challenge. I mean, that's what it is. The idea is we're always moving around between these different stories, and it's sports things. So what's going to happen is all those things are going to come together at one point, provided you get to finish your story or not. The thing that kept me so riveted in it, and A, I thought it was really interesting. My wife was 100% in from episode one also, and, and this is with no basketball at that time in her. Like it led to her becoming a massive basketball fan, I believe. I spent so much time being stunned by the level of casting and acting more than any other show I can think of where they took these figures, most of whom were not unfamiliar to me. Like I know when they talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I know what he looked like at that time. I know what he, I know what I looked like. I know who Jerry Buss is. Now they expanded on those. I've read books on these people, but like they expanded on those characters, but they would cast people over and over, who you know. All the actors in here, there's other than like magic. Other than the players. Right. Everybody outside the players. Yeah, for the most part.
2: I I blew Josh's mind, and Connor, you probably know this, but the actor who played Norm Nixon. Yes, I know this. His son. His son. Norm Nixon's actual son, which did blow my mind. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But it it, it should be noted, though, that I believe I blew his mind back. And I said, did you notice that one scene with that guy who you didn't quite recognize? And he's like, yes. And I was like, that was Jay Moore at a very rough 53 years old. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. He's married to Jeannie Buss. Well, as you say, (laughs) wait, 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 stop. Connor, I know we're not going to surprise you with any facts. I know that you know (laughs) all of the things. So I need you to play along with me. And then I turns to him and I says, do you know who he's married to? And he goes, no. I go, he's married to Jeannie Buss. And he goes... The actor, she's pretty young. No. (laughs) The actual. Woman. <laughs> and I was and I was and I
2: looked at me and I was like it's
1: fucked up, isn't it? You can't even tell why, but it is. And
2: and the fact That's that Jay Moore, Jay Moore Jay Moore's was on the show and is dating uh-huh. the real Genie Buss really makes me question if the Genie Buss came back around on the show in the second season after decrying
0: it in the oh, first yeah, she season. she said she said yeah. there's there's interviews she's enjoyed it. Not 100% yeah. accurate, yeah. but she's enjoying it. It's great publicity for the team.
2: It was a different story in the first season. Let me finish my thought though.
1: And so the thing being, you know, Specifically, I will, I will hone in on Adrian Brody as Pat Riley. And when he entered camera on that last season, I went, oh, my God, it's difficult to see him and not think that's Adrian Brody. But he disappeared into this character of Pat Riley. And that character developed over that course of time in the show, as the, did the real man. This was a show where every once in a while I would say, Well, oh, that's Adrian Brody. Or there was one point and it was in season two for the first time I go, oh, it's John C. Riley. Like, I forgot it was him. He was the person. And then finally, the best example of that is uh, Jason Clark as Jerry West, who Mm -hmm. formed a character that I just thought, how can a person who is so recognizable as an actor so fully resemble this person? And And and, And then on top of that, deliver a performance that was so engaging that anytime the camera was on him for any reason, he did something wonderful.
2: Yep. Every
1: time they cut to Jerry West for any reason, it was delightful. And the, so the fact is, like, I was in the tank for this show 100%. I was yeah. past the point where I could be like, I mean, it would have had to be really bad. But there wasn't like, this was kind of slow. I just wanted to know what happened next every time.
2: And the thing is, is that, like, I gave my honest criticism of the second season. If it continued for another 20 episodes, I keep watching. Because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I thoroughly did enjoy it. I did enjoy what they were doing. The Jerry West character and the guy playing Jerry West, like, was waiting for him to come on, on screen. Yeah. Yeah, like oh, so good. And Adrian didn't Brody. Mention- I'm such an Adrian Brody yeah. fan now. Like, not after this, but just an after Succession and then this. I'm just like, oh man, I want more Adrian Brody. How do you cast a guy that looks
1: like 1981 Larry Bird and have it yeah. work a thousand percent? And you say to him, oh, by the way, this guy's a psychopath. And you might be watching this at home and going, come on, he can't. Have- he was this
0: bad. <laughs> so was all of them. I'm more on Josh's side of things. I just loved everything about it. I thought the first steps was a little rough the first, second season, but after that, I thought it took off. I agree a little bit with Ron that mm-hmm. if they didn't know, they probably had an inkling that this was going to yeah. be it. I still think the arcs were there. Like, I think they knew they had to end them losing season two to build up season three as the redemption And there season. was no other way to tell that story without But they had, they had so many things to tell. Yeah. You can't just stop telling Jerry Buss's story because that's mm-hmm. integral to the team. And
2: But the thing is also then they made bizarre decisions like inventing a woman for him to get for to deal with his relationship stuff. Like the character of Honey doesn't exist as an amalgam of like three girlfriends that he had and they pulled in a lawsuit from well,
0: 1973. Well, they can't do all the girlfriends. That's no, but what so what why do simple. any
2: of it? Like I, I didn't care about any of Dr. Buss's personal life stuff in season two. I wanted Dr. Buss disrupting the nba and helping create modern modern sports as we know that's it like, that's your very
0: specific interest though yeah but who <laughs> you know, to, you, yeah. you love business stories yeah connor and i care that's who yeah. i like it but i also want to know about his personal life too cuz that was very important
1: you no know, i i agree with everything's going on i didn't love that storyline i didn't know that she was real i don't care what's real and what's not
0: yeah. honestly yeah, except show. for
1: the fact when something ridiculous happens and they look at you and you go that was real so that press conference <sighs>
0: You right. know, you A watched crazy that, that, press, that
1: yeah. was the best episode of the series. And that just really yeah. happened. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You can watch it on YouTube. That's the Pat Riley episode. Yeah. That's amazing. Huh.
1: You know, that episode finished and, and you know, I just went, oh my God. You know, it, but I watched that press really. And, and it was shot like in the style of the time. And I thought this must have happened. You can't do this unless it had not happened. Right. And, and I waited. I was like, tomorrow, this will be everywhere and I'll be able to see it. And uh, you sent it to me at 10 a.m.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it was like, that was great. I think this show more than any show really deals with a lot of issues prevalent in society. Like It's a basketball show about race. It's a basketball show about class. I mean, it really happened, but the difference between Boston and the Celtics and the Lakers and LA was very stark culturally and racially. And they really, they don't slap you in the face with it, but it's the entire fuck Boston, the entire beat LA thing is all caught up in race and class. And, you know, every time they won a game and Boston fans rioted, it's not because they were really mad about the game. So that was interesting. And nobody else is really dealing with that in that, that level on the this show that this this entertaining. It's like usually shows like that are really sad and depressing. And if you liked this,
1: you can go listen to Adam McKay's two podcast series, Death on the Wing, which was the precursor to the show, where he discussed basketball players in the 80s dying with the undercut current of social issues that are going on mixed in just like this show does with a sense of humor and a sense of um in storytelling and then death on the lot which is same kind of thing but it has to do with dead actors in the 50s largely you know, i get the backdrop of the huac commission
0: my favorite shot of the whole season was in the first episode with the riot how they get chased from the bus and then it's revisited at the end mm-hmm. one of the extras is running with a cigarette hanging in his mouth and he stops takes a drag in the middle of the <laughs> and, of the and you know, I
1: can tell you as a native New Englander, I was like, I've never seen anything more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, Adam McKay is from out is going to be surprising. He's from outside of Worcester. Yeah. He is one of these people, so you know he got that part right. I think in the '70s in Worcester. So if think about that. You know, I damn
0: shame. Yeah, but I'm not surprised. I said in the opening, like I am curious about that. I. Well, first of all, a lot of people complain that the first season was debuted during March Madness. They spent a lot of time promoting it during the basketball tournament. This time, they sort of dropped it in the middle of nothing. We talked about this at the top of the show. How do you find shows? How do you promote shows? How do you, how do you find any awareness? I mean, I see a million billboards around LA, but I assume they're not all over the country. It's yeah. harder than ever to get an audience to find your show when some idiot on TikTok hasn't turned it viral. On yeah. the other thing I was thinking about, I don't know how much this this may not have be a factor at all, but... In our entirely polarized society, this is a show about the Lakers made by a bunch of Laker fans. And I don't know if you got a bunch of Nick fans watching in New York or a bunch of Celtics fans watching in Boston or a bunch of Sixers fans watching. You know, like, I don't know if that turns them off because at this point, everything's polarized, everything's tribal.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't,
0: I, they may, be, may not be in the factor at all. I just thought about that after I heard about it. I was like, it's well, I wonder question. how it it appeals to fans of other teams because it's such a bunch of LA guys making a show about the Lakers and everyone sort of hates the Lakers.
2: That's interesting because it's like, like I don't care about basketball, so I'm neutral going into right, it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Josh clearly is a Celtics fan and didn't I don't, have any regard. Like you, you, you also like basketball, but Connor flipped this around. and If this was a show about the late '70s Yankees. Would I be as inclined to watch as a Mets
0: fan? Oh, would you? Would you watch a, a prestige HBO drama about the Braves of the nineties? Uh, right. Yeah. Fuck them. No.
2: Right. See.
1: Well, exactly. Really, like. But, but like, you're a fan of the game, and right, then right, like, no. But know, I'm a fan
2: of the game. Like, of if, story. if, you, if you, you know, if you did one about the late eighties A's, I, you know, you know, but, yeah, I'm but probably, that's
0: neutral, right? Yeah, but I'm just yeah. I'm trying to figure out like how much this hatred of the Lakers by most basketball fans. But here's the into, here's the
2: thing: if, if your show is living or dying based off of the sure. alienation of a select graphic or whatever, like demographic city demographic, yeah, then I think you might have bigger issues oh, i don't think <laughs>
0: it's the primary reason i just wonder if that plays into whether no. or not people watch it or not
2: either of those things the marketing of it
1: the whatever i don't think that that speaks badly about the show i think that that's oh,
0: no it's no reflection on the show at
1: all it speaks badly about the world that we live in and how media is disseminated and consumed yeah. and i think that that is the really it's sad and so speaking of sad in this way so no one knows how to market entertainment oh i know am sure ron no one can tell you more- Yeah. anybody Mm -hmm. likes and I think we all recognize that like people don't seem to like things that I think are good anymore I I listened to
0: several interviews with marketing executives throughout the course of the year and Mm -hmm. I remember the guy talking about the success of Megan and he was like yeah it was great TikTok picked it up and it went crazy and it's like so you didn't do anything Uh, like exactly or look at the Barbie Barbie, the
2: the Barbie phenomenon the number of conversations since Barbie that have happened about how can we Barbie this up right Right. which is like yeah you can't you can't yeah
1: and what's really sad about that is like Barbie was really good. Yeah. And sure. at, what I mean to say is sad about it. I was like that at no point was any part of the conversation. I saw people talking about Barbie.
0: No, it was the event. It was being a part of the event. Right. Right.
1: I never saw anybody talking about it as a film or as a thing that was very good. And that is not part of the conversation for people considerably younger than us anymore. From what it seems, I don't know. But it just seems like it's a different world. So this work that is being done that is very good doesn't have enough of an audience to appreciate it, which is very sad. Because it works great if you're a punk band because it doesn't cost you that much. But to make a show this good, you need a lot of money and to make use a lot of money. You have right. to have an audience. Now, I'm going to say as we sort of wrap the thing up, the thing that really bummed me out was that the tag that they had to stick on at the end of the show, yeah. the credits, the explaining yeah. uh, text on screen that whipped through not only parts of NBA history, but parts of American history and parts of like these stories were just like it was just like a wet fart at the end of the thing. And I'm glad they told us. You know, you can go read books. You can catch up on whatever. But it was really sad
0: that they had to do it. Oh, yeah. It. I, I knew about the cancellation. Yeah. Because I got the text alert. But my wife didn't. And so if we're watching it and, and it's happening, she was like, what the fuck is happening? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, it, it got canceled. Like, I didn't want to root it for her, So I didn't tell her. Sure. And I didn't know they were going to do this. So I was just like, oh, because it's it's over. It was frustrating.
1: Yeah. It was, it was just such a sad sort of way to end it. I just felt bad because they had done this great work and could tell this great story, you know. It's it's bittersweet, I think, you know,
2: but we're lucky we got what we did. But you really got to wonder, like, I think this had potential to be a long running prestige HBO kind of moment one. And if this happened 10 years ago. Yes,
0: I was literally going to say 10 years ago, this probably is a bigger success.
2: Is it literally, is it Max and streaming and everything that did it to this? Or is the show flawed in the way that we criticized in terms of the approach or stuff like that?
0: I'm happy to say people may not like the show and they're perfectly valid and not liking it. Sure, but yeah. I do think that the ecosystem is broken in terms of entertainment and how to... Economics of it. How to, in the horrible term, surface shows to the audience. Like, how do you get people to know about... Show? I, I can't tell you how many times I'll talk about something with somebody and they are like, oh, I haven't even heard of that. I'm like, how do you not know about this? It's on an HBO on Sunday night. 20 minutes ago. Tw- literally, tw- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on this very he's, podcast. He's talking about me, everyone. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm talking about people out in the world. Right. And like, I've never heard of that HBO show. Like, there was a time when everyone knew every HBO show that was on on Sunday night, you know? Which
1: brings us to...
0: Yeah, so we got an email from Greg M. from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Sort of similar to what we're talking about here. And he says, with the end of Succession and the rise of Max, or whatever it's called this week, it really feels like we are at the end of an incredible run of HBO original series that started in the late 80s. And he has a question we'll get to in a second. But I was I wanted to get you guys response to this because i have thoughts but i want to hear your, your uh, yeah statements. i'm sure first of all the late 80s is wrong <laughs> really
1: when's oz oz is late 97 90s. really 97
2: oz is the one that started it
0: it's early 90s
2: 80s was first and 10 like there
1: were a couple of
2: outliers in the shows. Eighties was not so
0: necessarily news. It was Kids in the Hall. It, no, Kids in the Hall was early nineties. Eighty nine. It was eighty nine. Eighties
2: was not necessarily the news and First and Ten, the football show. Encyclopedia Brown and the Kids in the Hall was eighty nine.
1: Yeah, we've all read the book about HBO and there's many yeah. thoughts that we have about that it's story and it's the brand. 90s, yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's some outliers. But like sort of as a destination for original programming that was worth something in a premium cable, you know, setting. They kick it off with Oz, Sopranos starts up, and then it's off to the races up until about now. And right up until the launch of
0: Max, I think. What was, was there a question yet? Is this the end of a run that started in the early 90s, or is this business as usual? I think it's the end of a run
1: for the same reason that Winning Time wasn't successful. In that, so you've, you've out here, you've done the best work you can and it can't find an audience. And there's several reasons, I think. High level media analysis would be that, you know, we talked about this in the show as a theme. There's too much. There's simply too much. Mm-hmm. And there's there's none of the traditional gatekeepers and markers that you could use to separate things that you wanted by however you want to categorize them. Whether that I'm looking for something that is quality, whether I'm looking for something that is funny, that is whatever. Those lines have all blurred away and brands don't mean anything in that way. So now it's just instead of 30 stations with 5 to 10 shows apiece it's 500 shows good luck yeah the final thing being that one of the last brands in television production that had any value was HBO to a certain demographic which we are probably the tail end of was HBO and when it got folded into max And, you know, broadcast TV failed to matter anymore or cable, you know, whichever. When they put everything on Max, what was an HBO show versus what was a Max show versus what was an HBO Max?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It didn't make sense to people anymore. It should have never been called HBO Max. People are saying the opposite now, but I think they're wrong.
1: They're they're 100% wrong.
0: They should never have attached HBO to the name of Max. They diluted.
1: What they did was they tried to take advantage of the strength of the HBO name. By saying, put it on here, and then people will watch all this other stuff. But in doing so, what they did was dilute the very thing that they were using to bring strength to the brand. And so there are other shows that Max, I'm putting air quotes, did that were not HBO shows that may have been good, but most of them were non-remarkable. So you went on this thing thinking, oh, this is like HBO, and it was a bunch of dross. And then you couldn't tell the difference between their shit shows and then a high-level HBO drama eventually, and then no one could find anything good because there was no difference in it. And I think it is a fucking shame. I'm sure people felt this way when like the record labels went down. There's people who are older than us who are like, oh man, Atlantic meant something. You know, but to me, HBO meant something.
2: It's the unceremonious decline of something that was once great. And I'm not willing to necessarily 100% put the nail on the coffin here after what's gone on the past couple years of streaming and HBO Max and all this sort of stuff. Because if anything, Josh, as you mentioned, we've all read the, what is it, half a foot- Thick <sighs> HBO oral history, Kinderbox by James Andrew Miller, and understanding what has gone into making HBO what it what it is, and what and the alchemy that put the, came together in the nineties and the two thousands to make what it became the prestige HBO. It's all about the people and the willingness to take risks and the willingness to invest in talent. And if anything, I don't think the story is fully told here because they definitely are at a crossroads where they can either choose to embrace what has been HBO's legacy and. It, Warner Brothers Discovery Company, David Zaslav down. At this moment in time, they can choose to embrace what has been a historically successful and storied franchise and invest in that and have this be a blip or have this be a one down round and and have it even out over the years, or they can embrace the volume play of streaming and when you open up Max now, you see Boardwalk Empire next to fucking Chip and JoJo is that a real thing that you just said?
0: Yeah. The home people. The okay. Magnolia people. Chip and Joanna.
2: Oh, yeah. Right. Chip and Joanna. yeah. Chip and Joanna. The, um, what was the show called?
0: Chip and Joanna Games. Yes, Mac.
2: Fixer Upper. Fixer Upper. All yeah. the All the Fixer Upper stuff. And I truly believe they are at a crossroads, right? And the thing is, you have, you know, Casey Bloys is running HBO and he's someone who's been there for years and has that in them. The question is whether or not and who can tell, but the, if the politics of inside Warner Brothers Discovery allow them to continue to operate. But also, let's not romanticize HBO too much, right? Because for Every Sopranos and every yeah. Six Feet Under and every Game of Thrones, there is a Carnival. There is a K Street. Well, Carnival. You know, there, there is a vinyl. Great,
0: John from Cincinnati. No, yeah. you're going to have a hard time
1: naming any of those shows and telling me that they were not thoughtful and that they were actual pieces of shit. There were no. failed experiments. There were things that didn't work out. They took a chance. That, right, yeah. but it wasn't because it was. It was a safe choice. It wasn't Two and a Half Men. It wasn't you know another formulaic hospital show. It was like, this is a weird show about carnies in
0: 1900, and it didn't catch, and that's fair. I agree with both of what you guys have said. I think the problems at HBO are nothing to do with HBO itself. It's it's to do with the whole media ecosystem imploding on itself Right. right now because they took the most profitable entertainment platform in history the cable network and they went to the least profitable entertainment medium of all time streaming yeah it's a whole other problem that hbo has nothing to do with the thing about hbo that the people in charge of warner brothers always hated was that they didn't do a lot of programming right they're like why can't you make more shows and their whole thing was we'll make the shows we want to make at the time we want to make them and that was sort of their why they were so good because they were curated hbo has never had that many shows out at any given time and i'm looking at the list of what they currently have on the air and this is sort of in relation to what Greg asked in his email. Is this the end of HBO. So they have four dramas. Euphoria, The Gilded Age, House of the Dragon, The Last of Us. Currently. The Gilded Age probably has one more season in it before it gets canceled. But Euphoria is hugely popular with the people younger than us. House of the Dragon, not as good as Game of Thrones, but still quite popular. The Last of Us was a huge success. It's got Curb Enthusiasm, The Righteous Gemstones for comedy, And it's got The White Lotus as a recurring anthology. And not to mention things like... And True Detective. Yeah, it hasn't come back yet. But yes, it's coming back. Not to mention things like Last Week Tonight with John Oliver and Real Time with Bill Maher. You may not like him, but it's it's a popular show. It's got a lot of popular quality programming. I would not at all say HBO's dead. And by the way, Succession, for all of its ink, not a popular show.
1: This is what I'm saying, though. You're talking to all these shows, and I'm like, I have no idea
0: if these... Are watched
1: or po- or you know?
0: Well, nobody does. Last, that's, the last
1: and, of well, not a, I'm talking about
0: on last of Us was broadcast a league, on cable. The Last of Us, House of the Dragon, and Euphoria draw big numbers. And that's just got renewed for a fourth season. It must get numbers. Curbs going into its eleventh season. Like but, White Lotus, huge a huge success. People watch these shows way more than they watch Succession. Succession was like a two million less show. It was. Popular with the media, so it was written about all the time. Great show, but it was not popular. All the shows, probably the least popular. Maybe more than the Gilded Age, probably. But let's talk about the difference here. My point is they're still doing quality. They're not dead.
1: I know that. But what I'm saying is that the time of taking risks on things that they did for such a long time, it seems like it's going to be time because there is no guarantee of any kind now that if you do something really good, that A, people will respond to it, or B, will even find it. So the money that you spend, wait, the money that you spend on a prestige thing- isn't the kind of guarantee that it used to be.
0: Sure, and that's a possibility, but my point is that it hasn't happened yet. There's no evidence of it.
1: The shows that you're talking about, though, most of them are predicated to some extent on something that was already successful, and that is a new thing for HBO. So House of the Dragon is a spinoff, is a sequel euphoria kind of stand its own but it's also you know like a very popular person went and made that show she became popular from the show okay so that's an outlier what you know that's more like the old model which is fine last of us extremely well-known popular video game that at least gets some people hooked in to start with
0: i would argue that most people watch the show never play the video game most people watch the show because of Pedro prescott was having a moment it got really good reviews and people like zombie stories
1: fair Like I, I don't know. I, I, I've done, but it does feel like that sort of original blast of of like creativity. It's not that it's not going to exist. It's that it's going to be harder to catch a hold now. So they're going to be less likely to take a risk on doing a Sopranos, which is from out of nowhere, or a Six Feet Under. It could happen. I just feel like in this climate, it's going to be so much riskier because it's so much less of a sure shot because of a all the things vying for attention, and then b the fact that. The brand has no home like it once did. So people don't know to look there for the thing. You were starting to talk to the shows and I was like, I do know all those shows, but I don't know what else there is. I don't know what I'm missing at HBO. I don't, it's lost something for me and I don't want it to have
0: but if you go back not even you know this year we had a quirky white house plumbers miniseries last year we did we owned the city and a david simon miniseries we had mayor of east town the year before those are all classic no HBO. Ever watched the david simon show <laughs> right no one ever watches david simon so, but they're still doing them and mayor of east town is a classic hbo
2: hang on though series. so, so here, here's my question though so winning time gets canceled fine okay i mean time will tell to see what they do but like if here we are in three years from now and there's another David Simon series and there's not like if they keep like, I, I guess my question is, is like, I think it's too premature to say that it's done.
0: Yeah. That's all I'm yeah, saying is that yeah. right now we can't say that because it's the same HBO it's always been. We just don't know what the future will bring.
2: Right, exactly. I think that it's
1: unlikely given the climate that it, it will maintain at this level and if, which is what happens with anything. It's
0: like a great yeah.
1: independent record label.
0: The entire yeah. system could collapse next year because none of these things are profitable. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like There I, could be I, no TV.
2: All right. Well, we our emailer had of another question. Netflix.
0: Had another question, right? Greg's question was: What are each of your top three HBO original series? We don't count miniseries. Not miniseries because because Band of Brothers is the Band Band of best things be ever been made. One. Not miniseries. Not miniseries.
2: Just so, regular. So this whole list of miniseries I'm looking at, are got to so skip the miniseries. We own the city, White House. All plumbers, the new Pope, Watchmen, Chernobyl. Those are all out, off the table.
1: Out. So that's interesting though, is that like I feel like a lot of those would be one
0: does he say that series? So? No, that's what I'm saying. Oh well what about the emailer? What are your top three original HBO? Like, Josh qualified. I was just going with what he said. If you don't, don't qualify, not, you don't have we can to do you agree with that. me. I just was yeah. like,
1: I feel like if I say Band of Brothers, that's like a special. But then you say Chernobyl, and I'm like, ugh. But I guess they're the same thing. I think thing.
2: Chernobyl's on the table. Just because it's a miniseries, you shouldn't take it off. Yeah.
1: So we're top three. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to add any of those to it. The only thing I'm going to preface with is say that, like, Band of Brothers is the best thing that's ever been made in series or miniseries form in my life. We'll never be beat. But that's, you know, subjective. It isn't, though. All right. So series would meaning that we're talking at least Two seasons,
2: no.
0: Well, okay. Well, not one single Un- contained just, I mean,
2: unscripted. Okay,
0: if it's an yeah. HBO original, you can go with an unscripted show. All yeah. you know? right,
1: we right. just want to include the miniseries, and when Connor, and I' are going to say, yeah, not I think anything that's
2: been, any series that's been on HBO, I think is fair.
0: Fine, yeah. it's fine by me, Connor. Uh... <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, like, I'm, 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 if that's the case, then I then Band of Brothers is. In my I know, top but, three. but let's but let's
1: say we both understand that we're not going to include that. All right, fine. That's that's my copy.
2: You could do like we did the game where we we ele- right. You know, you're gonna elevate ones like. I was obviously, gonna say like yeah, the G that yeah.
0: where Tom Hanks was the. Yeah, this is GDAT Back, to the, yeah. this is Back right. to the Future. This is Back to the Future. Yeah. All right, Not counting Band of Brothers, Oz. Really? Still there? Yeah, it's the one that started it all. It's you it's important. Watched it since then. Uh, not all the way. No.
1: I tried to watch it again. It wasn't bad, but it was really dark and harsh. And I was like, I feel terrible yeah, yeah. watching sure. this now. Oz. Game of Thrones. It's like your first girlfriend. I don't know. Like you love it, but you wouldn't necessarily want to be with her. Like that's what Oz is like for me.
0: Oz, Game of Thrones, Deadwood. Ooh, it's hard because I'm looking at Larry Sanders. I, I'm looking at a lot of different I things that could it. go in that third spot. Chernobyl. So Oz, I know. Larry, I'm sorry, Oz, Deadwood, Game of Thrones. I'm just going to put a pin. I was just gonna have to say it. Okay. So I know for me. That my
1: my first two are without question the Sopranos and the Wire, and then I have to think ah, about. Fuck. I have to think about. It's hard to do out.
2: three. This is hard to do three. By the way, fine. Oz, yeah. Game of
1: Thrones, The Wire. Got to. It's America.
0: Yeah, I got. Uh, I, I, yeah.
1: Then you've Sorry. got now. Connor and I are going to probably have different ones than necessarily Ron does. So I would look at Deadwood, and I would look at. Oof, I would definitely have to look at Deadwood. I would have to look at Veep. That's probably I love just the Empire. i love i love rome more than boardwalk empire i know that i know i love deadwood more than boardwalk empire so boardwalk empire is necessarily out although i did watch it again and it was just fantastic
2: can we take the sopranos off the table too
0: no no
2: you don't no. think that elevated up above to no. the level of Banner? Yeah. Well, I know. I got to challenge that. If you're going to take Banner Brothers Band of Brothers, off, Brothers just
0: because like... it was a series. Sopranos, they did it for five, you know, six yeah, years. Yeah, I know.
2: But it was, but it's just so like, no, 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 it, no, no, it, it seems so rote to say Sopranos. Sopranos changed man. television. That, yeah. So, so yeah, saying, yeah, that's what Sopran- I mean. That's what, saying, the, like.
1: The, no, but, but saying Sopranos means that you couldn't say like Nirvana's Nevermind. Like it just, if you like that thing, that I think that has to count. It's just the Band of Brothers for Conor Knightley is such an outlier. I
2: don't know. Then I don't think you can take Band of Brothers off. You got to lose one of your three to that. All right, one.
0: fine. Yeah. Band of Brothers, Oz, and The Wire. Fine. Band of Brothers, Sopranos,
1: The Wire.
2: I probably have to go Sopranos, Larry Sanders, Real Sex.
1: Whoa! Are you kidding me?
2: No, <laughs> that, that, uh, that was my entire sexual education me. from 1992 into the late 90s was that, that, that docu-series. I respect it. Yeah. I don't. I give a ton of credit to them for approaching it, doing it. Very ahead of its time show.
0: Very yeah. sex positive. 100%, but it's not yeah. like- it's not All like right, if I swap out real
2: sex and I put Boardwalk on then.
0: Thank so. you. By the way, does anyone know what HBO's first original drama-
2: uh, I can um, I at the probably list. Knows, he's got the list
0: in front of him. I, I do, exactly. but I can't remember it as you I know. say 1983, this. Philip Marlowe, Private Eye, starring Ooh, Powers Booth. Didn't know that. you should watch it. Is it streaming anywhere? I'm sure it's not. Well, on no
1: Max. one's mentioned it, but I need to put this in here as honorable mention. Silicon Valley.
2: Uh eh, I mean, I, wouldn't I put it by, in top five. It, top it was five. it's hard to put in top five. Go back to your thing. Like when I go back and rewatch it, I don't know. You know,
0: you would, season one. I would I'd rewatch season one. Hey, Connor, I was in my top five.
2: You can buy Philip Marlowe Private Eye on Amazon Prime at ninety nine cents an episode.
0: Six Ooh. feet under. Listen, there's a hundred shows we could talk about. It'd be hard to make a top 10 list even.
2: There was something in reading the HBO book. There was something where, where it was like Treme I was like, "Oh, so I want to go back and I want to go back and watch that and it wasn't available anywhere."
0: Most of it's not available. Like, like some like doc-
2: to- oh, a documentary. Like there was a documentary that yeah. was that, that was I was like, "Oh, I really wanted cuz they were talking about it in such revere." Well, I
0: mean- there's the
2: Paradise Lost
1: trio of documentaries, which is amazing yeah. But they did so many good documentaries. It's difficult to
2: yeah, the docu series, th- th- that whole thing on them. I mean, Taxi Cab, Convention, Project Greenlight, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, but there was a documentary that I can't remember the name, and I, I was just shocked that I couldn't find it. That it just wasn't. It's just not not even available digitally anywhere. Just gone. You know,
1: like, yeah, stuff's just gone. They did a they did a, a Harry Truman like Truman biopic. Really? Yeah, they did uh, Truman with uh, Gary Sinise, and it does not exist anywhere for years. You couldn't watch From the Earth to the Moon, which is the the mini series that the predated Band of Brothers, which is amazing. And they just put it up like a couple of years ago for streaming.
0: I'm just going through. Now I'm putting off the comedies. There's like a million great comedies. Like it would be hard to do a top ten list, even
2: yes, yeah.
0: from the, all these shows. Board to Death, I loved that show.
2: Oh, Board to Death was fun. yeah. What was that documentary? I, I mean, what Sex was... and
0: the City is, is important. Larry Sanders' show was really influential.
2: You said
1: Sex in the City, and like you're absolutely right. It's maybe one of the most important sitcoms of our lifetimes in turn, But but I went, oh yeah, that's HBO. Like it doesn't even register with
0: me. That was their number two money maker it. behind Band of Brothers for a while. I get it. Veep. Veep is
1: singularly. I've watched it several. It's singularly one of the most funny things I've ever seen in my life. Endlessly.
2: The Deuce. I love the Deuce. Like oh man, you know the Deuce is good stuff. Is,
0: not a top data. We'll, uh, we'll see what i mean josh said we don't know what the future is going to bring for media so we'll see what it, it affects hbo right now the same guy's in charge has been in charge for a while so i'm hoping that they are able to maintain that quality
1: to me though it's all about audiences if audiences aren't it's not enough people audiences to be interested then it's over eventually yeah. and and i don't trust audiences right
0: well now. hbo's never had audiences really except True, for, that's why yeah. like game of thrones and yeah, it's but, an outlier. it's more of what do the corporate bosses allow
1: because well, in the right. past,
0: it was like a prestige thing.
1: Well, it was a prestige thing, too. I spent a lot that, of money. Well, that was the thing, is that when people were paying for HBO, they were paying for HBO. But now what you've done is you've lumped in HBO with all of this other stuff. And at some point, somebody's going to say, well, how do we know that your fucking show is making a difference?
2: How do we know they're not here for Housewives? Well, well, yeah, welcome to the politics of the strikes. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, the, the transparency and audience is the major yeah. thing. And what's fascinating about it, and I don't want to get too much in the business side of it, but what's fascinating about it is is that, like. Yes, you do. All these people are asking. You know, they're saying, "Well, the writers and and the actors, to a certain degree, are asking for transparency and numbers to see if they are missing out on profiting from the hits more so because they because everything's in a buyout uh, mode right yeah. now, where you you pitch a show, the networks are, or the streamers are buying it completely, and you're not getting any like if there's a massive so hit, no you're not making billions, yeah. right? But what the reality of what that transparency might be will reveal. What I suspect will reveal, and Connor, I'm sure you know the same thing yeah. we talked about on the podcast that we listen yeah. to is the fact that there are hundreds if not thousands of shows that are being watched by nobody.
0: Yeah. They don't want to know. Exactly. It's a double-edged sword. It's a, it's it's a double-edged, a double-edged sword, sword to get the numbers. Yep, yep, yeah, yep. yep. It's right. fascinating. So fascinating. We can keep talking about this all night, but thanks, Greg M. from Philadelphia, for writing in. You can write in at contact.ifanboy.com and put Media Splode in the subject line so we know it's for this show. This was fun. We could talk about HBO for hours and days. If you have any more HBO-related yes. questions, we'll take them.
2: We could talk about TV for
0: hours. Yeah. Have we lost everyone
1: 35 and under by now? probably like in general i
0: mean but you, i think you did years ago that's true yeah <laughs> it's fair. So that's it for this week's show of course you can listen to josh and i every week on the pick of the week show we talk about the week's comics you can listen to android faithful that's ron's android show yep on AndroidFaithful.com. that's where we are
2: <coughs> why are you laughing at josh
1: i'm laughing because of when the always sunny podcast and they had no idea that dennis had done a show <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, androidfaithful.com. And like for a while, the other guys had no idea that there was a Wrexham show. And I just thought, <laughs> oh, we're doing that thing right now. And like what you do is a big deal, not just to you, but to other people. And I'm barely aware of it. It's because I want to <laughs>
0: say twit.tv because for years, that's no, what yeah, it was. Yeah. So yeah, so we my moved head goes to yeah.
1: that. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you call it. Same deal. And it's not because I don't care. It's just that that is not our relationship.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting. It's funny. It's very Let's funny. Let's end on that awkward note. We'll be back it next month and until then I'm Connor.
2: I'm
1: Ron. That makes me Josh. Thanks everyone.
2: Oh, let's go to the end. Come on, stay little ride. That's the start.